0: Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Now, in anticipation of Father's Day this year, mark your calendars, that's Sunday, June 21st. Also happens to be my son's first birthday. Yay! I uh, would like to dedicate today's episode to dads and recognize that fathers these days are more emotionally and physically involved on the home front than ever before. Just ask my husband. Today's guest knows this very well. His name is Josh Levs. He is the perfect guest to help us celebrate fatherhood. He is the author of the brand new book, All In, How Our Work Culture Fails Dads, Families, and Businesses, and How We Can Fix It Together. Did you know that half of all working dads would rather stay at home if their spouse has made enough money to live on? And just like moms, dads struggle with work-life balance and doing it all. Now, in addition to being an author, Josh is an award-winning broadcast journalist who often writes and speaks about modern fatherhood and spent almost a decade reporting for CNN on air and online and serving as the network's truth seeker in chief. Prior to CNN, he worked as a reporter for NPR. His many prizes include six Peabody Awards, two Edward R. Murrow Awards, and a designation as a Journalist of the Year from the Atlanta Press Club. Most importantly, Josh is a devoted father of three who, get this, he delivered his own son unplanned when his wife skipped labor and gave birth in their bedroom. And something else you probably didn't know about Josh, he filed a charge with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission against his employer, CNN's parent company, Time Warner, demanding equitable paid paternity leave. And he essentially won the claim a year later. And he did this while he was still an employee there. Three takeaways from our interview. Why he thinks companies are resistant to giving their male employees equal opportunities when it comes to parental leave. Are we still stuck in the 50s? Kind of how parents can fight for policy change in their own workplace, and how Josh personally reduces his taxes by as much as possible. Some uh, personal stories as well for him to share. Stay tuned. Here is Josh Levs. Josh Levs, welcome to So Money. My friend, how are you? Congratulations on the book.
1: Thank you for having me, and thanks for that. Yeah, it's uh, it's a really exciting time.
0: I so admire what you're doing. It's so needed right now in the world, in our culture, especially in the United States, where you know uh, parental leave is not uh, on the top of the to-do list in terms of you know, I guess as far as corporate America's. Um, social initiatives and corporate initiatives. Uh, You have a very interesting story as far as how you got to becoming really an advocate for dads and families and then writing this book, All In, which is fantastic. Everyone go out there and and buy this book for Father's Day and give it to any father and family you know. But uh, Josh, I'd love for you to start with your story of how you came to this kind of realization that this was a very important and imminent issue, not only just facing your family, but families all across the country.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And you're, you're exactly right in the way that you are setting this up for Anusha. Of course, you know, it is amazing how the United States is really an outlier in the world when it comes to these issues. And that is a real problem. And that's something that we all need to address because it's not just holding back families, it's also holding back businesses. And it's something that I discovered through my experience. So you you ask me about my story. The uh, The basic idea is You know, I'm a journalist and I was covering fatherhood along with other things. I was doing all sorts of segments um, on air on CNN and I was writing columns about fatherhood. And and then all of a sudden the tables got turned and I found myself the dad in the news because all of a sudden I was uh, being reported on because I was challenging a policy. What happened was um, my wife and I have two sons and then she was pregnant with our daughter. And we determined that when our daughter was born, I would be needed at home for a block of time and uh, there was a very unusual policy where i worked at time warner and you know your listeners might do a double take when they hear this but under this policy anyone could get 10 paid weeks to stay home and take care of a new baby except a man who impregnated the mother of the child (laughs) so yeah that ridiculous so if if i had given up my child for adoption and some other guy adopted her he would get 10 paid weeks if if she and I had used a surrogate or a sperm donor, I would get 10 paid weeks. But because I'm a dad in the old-fashioned way, um, the uh, the the people who designed these policies could not conceive of the idea, could not imagine that a man in the traditional situation after his wife gave birth might be one to stay home and do some caregiving. So I had asked Time Warner privately and quietly to change the policy or to make it available to me, and they, they ended up... they wouldn't give me any answer. This was months before my daughter was born. Finally, when she was born in an emergency, still no answer, uh, 11 days later, I said, I need to know, am I coming back to work or not? And that's when they said, no, they would not give me the policy. So I filed legal action, and uh, that's the story.
0: And you continued to work there, which is the other kind of really crazy part, people listening to this and thinking... I I could never do this to my company. I'm sure this is not a a singular event. This is happening all over the country in terms of um, just failure for companies to really recognize dads as wanting to actually spend time with their children. Um, It's not just a mother's job. uh, But the fact that you sued, well, you took Time Warner to task. You filed an, um, I guess, what's the t- legal, is it really? legal Yeah, what's the legal, le- yeah, what's legal e- term? E-
1: e- it's called an EEOC complaint. It's the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is under federal law. It is not legal for a business to discriminate based on certain factors, including gender. So we filed a complaint for gender discrimination.
0: And so while this was a little awkward, you admit, <laughs> being that you were still employed there, you talk in the book that, in fact, you received a very surprising Kind of reception to this, a very warm and, and supportive reception.
1: Yeah, absolutely. From my colleagues. You know, it, it, talk about being so money. It's so important for workers in this country to know that we have rights. And one of the biggest things that I have learned in my experience and in reporting for this book, For All In, is that people don't know their rights. Workers don't know that they even have rights. And I was uh, an exception in the sense that I knew that I had rights. And I was aware of some of these basics and also I had really good legal representation. So I found out, so basically everyone should know that if you are a victim of discrimination based on certain factors, such as race or religion or gender, um, you have the right to file a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And if you do that, your business is legally, your business is, is legally not allowed to punish you for it. You have legal protections for doing that. So what happened with me was I filed that. And, um, you know, while I didn't hear much directly from the big bosses at the company, um, my colleagues learned from this. They, Many of them said to me, we didn't know we had the right to do this. We never knew this was possible. And when I did go back to work, because I had to, because they wouldn't give me that benefit. Yeah, I got hugged and kissed in the hallway and, and, <laughs> and my back got slapped so much it got sore. And it was, it, like you're saying, it was a very warm, positive reception.
0: And it was really the precursor to the book in many ways, because from that moment, and it was victorious for you and now many, many all-time Warner employee dads, um, it really set the stage for you to then go out and be an advocate on a much larger scale.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And you're precisely right. That's what set the stage for All In. What happened was um, the night that I announced I was taking legal action, um, I, I posted it on Tumblr. And that night, it was as though I had unleashed the floodgates of love. All of a sudden, all these groups women's groups and men's groups, mom blogs and dad blogs, organizations founded by Maria Shriver and Cheryl and Sandberg. The, these groups immediately came out supporting me on this. And it was, it was this eureka moment for me. I, I started looking at this and I said, okay, what is it about my situation that is galvanizing so many people? And I realized and this is what the book's about these policies what we have in america are backward laws policies and stigmas that are acting as gender police they are pushing men to stay at work and pushing women to stay home they're re- pulling us away from equality so i realized that you know uh, men and women together all those of us who want equality we are all in this together and then as you mentioned um after i, I filed this uh, a year later time warner revolutionized its policy made it much much better giving more time to dads in my situation and more time to moms after a birth as a result of this. So as Yay. perfect example of that, we can galvanize together and we can get things done. And that's what as you know, that's what the book's all about.
0: Yes, and I want to talk a little bit more about the book. But one other kind of broader question for you, Josh, given that you're really you have your ear to the ground uh, on this issue and you're meeting with all sorts of people on this topic, there I don't think anyone would say publicly, I don't believe in gender equality. I don't believe that dads should be able to spend time with their kids. Yet, companies are not bringing that to their, um, they're not making that obviously at the forefront of of how they're running their companies. They're not implementing these beliefs. And so why? Do people actually believe that a man's role should be working and that a woman's role is more to be house taker and caretaker? Or is is, is that, what's going on? There's a disconnect.
1: Exactly. It's such a disconnect. And here's what it is. A minority of people believe that and they remain in power in corporations. And here's why. I I found this so fascinating. You know, I grew up on free to be you and me. You did too, probably. This this basic belief in gender equality that that the girls I was in school with and, you know, when I was a boy, that that we could all grow up to achieve equal things in our careers. We had equal ability. Um, But what happened was our generation got into the workplace and had we had children. And that's when we discovered that the workplace has never grown up. So why is it that we are the only country in the world with a developed economy, really the only country in the world, it's us in Papua New Guinea, that have no paid maternity leave? And why is it that so many countries have paternity leave and we don't have any mandatory paternity leave? Well, because the thinking behind our structures is still out of the 1950s. The thinking is Women should stay home. Men should stay at work. And why is that? Here's why. It's a vicious cycle. What happens is most dads today are very involved with their kids, but the workplace uh, rewards the few dads who aren't. There's this thing called the hours stigma. So dads who stay at work and work extra hours, extra hours, even if they're not overall more productive, they get rewarded because their bosses see them as being the kind of employees that they want. Then they work their way up the chain. They become in charge of the culture and the policies. And even with no ill intent, even if they are the nicest people in the world, they are out of touch with the fact that most dads are really involved with their families, and so they don't know what's going on in this respect. And I explained the book, there's a Harvard study that proves what I just said. So what we need to do is introduce our corporate leaders and our government leaders to the realities of modern American families, and that will affect change.
0: Amen. And it's very short sighted, Josh, because while, yes, in the short term, you, re- you reward the most quote unquote productive workers, at least from a time standpoint, that might help. That might be more visibly like the, the, the guy, the gal that's most productive. But if you're not rewarding the parents who are trying to balance time at home and at work and being a little bit more holistic in their approach to life, <laughs> they're going to, a lot of times women opt out, you know, because of this. And um, in the end, everyone loses. Because you're, right. you're basically eliminating really great workers.
1: Yeah, and this is why in the subtitle of my book, we specifically point out that this is also about what's best for businesses. Because it's now been proven that when businesses implement gender-neutral policies that allow uh, families to have choices, the businesses thrive and the entire economy thrives. And, you know, it's, it's such a simple thought if you think about it sometimes, you know, shocking concept to certain people in power, but sometimes the best person for the job is a woman. Of course, that's the case. So why would you possibly want a system of laws, policies, and stigmas that push the man to stay at work and push the woman to stay at home? You're not going to have a thriving business unless you give yourself the opportunity to make sure that, Men and women all have choices. More businesses are finding that out. Some businesses in this country are now doing a really good job of making changes. And if we follow the steps in All In, then together we can make this a real revolution.
0: One of the arguments that I think companies have is that, well, it's expensive to allow our workers to leave for uh, you know, 12 weeks and pay them. And so you propose something in the book that I think is um, revolutionary but also very simple. Uh, tell us a little bit about the 401K for family leave
1: absolutely. So the first thing to know about that is that, um, and I totally understand why businesses at first hear this, especially people who own small businesses, and they say, wait a second, you're saying I have to pay someone to not work? No, no, no. I don't want you as a business to have to pay one cent. And when these policies are done right, businesses do not lose a penny. We have existing systems already in California and New Jersey, and certain business leaders uh, of national organizations said, oh, it'll destroy jobs. It hasn't. It's the opposite. Businesses say they like the policies. And there is through a publicly funded insurance system in which you basically pay a couple of uh, of pennies um, into this big insurance fund. And when you need paid family leave for anyone in your family, you get it. So that is a very successful system in those states. And there's something on the table in Washington called the Family Act that would create that nationally. But because... (laughs) It technically requires the creation of a tax, even though workers come out ahead, businesses come out ahead. Because it has that word tax in it, I explain in the book, I know from all these years covering politics, we all know this, something with the word tax in it might just get shut down in Congress. So what I propose that you're referring to is flipping the script. Let's create something that lowers taxes. We can lower taxes in this country to create paid family leave. And what I suggest is a 401k type system in which... You could put away a certain amount of your money each year into a tax-free fund, and when you need paid family leave, you would have access to that money up to a certain amount the same way it's structured in those states. I will tell you, I think my idea has a much, much greater chance of passing, but it still wouldn't do enough for a lot of people at the lowest ends of the economic spectrum. But for that, you know, we we need all sorts of changes. We need living wages and access Mm -hmm. to transportation and and healthcare and those things. But this, what I'm suggesting, this 401k type system for paid family leave, this would help tens of millions of families.
0: And is it actually, have have you proposed this? Have you submitted this? How is it, where is it right now in the world?
1: Right. So the good news was that, um, in, in this book, you'll hear from people across the political spectrum. And there are, you know, prominent conservatives in this book who, who decided to come forward in this book and say that they were originally opposed to the Family and Medical Leave Act and that they now regret that, that they, you know, they think it turned out to be a, a good idea. That was for, for unpaid leave being required. Um, so what I found when I proposed this idea is that across the political spectrum, there was a lot of support for it. I have now contacted my senators and my congressmen to set up meetings to pitch the idea directly in the hopes that they will bring it before Congress. I have not yet heard back, but I hope to. And I'll, uh, I'll update you as soon as I do.
0: Well, hopefully the the, the book is going to be a great uh, kind of platform for you to get out there again and, and really make this um, a, a national issue, international issue, but mostly a national issue because we need it most here on the home front. So it's us in what, New, Papua New Guinea
1: Yeah, it's us and Papua New Guinea and a handful of tiny islands that do not have paid maternity leave. And the idea – you know, I just want to emphasize this and you totally understand this. I'm so glad to be talking to you. This is not a left or right conservative liberal thing at all. This is just about what's basic and human. In our society, we have paid public education. We have Medicaid for children because we understand that making sure basics are covered is what a society should obviously do. This is a basic. When a child leaves the womb, a child should have a parent at home who, during that block of weeks, does not have to worry about putting food on the table. That's just a human need. It's an obvious basic. And this is something that we can afford because when we follow these systems in this book, our entire economy will improve and thrive. It's good for all of us.
0: And I have to say, you know, I've been public about how I make more than my husband, but his job as far as, the value that it brings to our family is you cannot measure it because his company provides pretty generous paternity leave. They're very good with flexible hours. They understand that family comes first. And my husband, therefore, feels very confident to be able to like leave a little bit early or work from home. There isn't the stigma, thank God. you know, Because sometimes, as you say in your book, the policy is there, the support is there technically, but a lot of men don't take advantage of it because there is this cultural, um, backlash in the, in the the office space to say, oh, well, you know, he's going to actually take the whole two weeks after his baby's born. How committed is he actually? But fortunately that's not the case where my husband works. And that has hands down is the only reason that I'm able to do my job the way that I do it. And that we actually get to see each other, including with our 11 month old. So, praise to um, my husband's company. And I hope that- and as
1: a result of mm-hmm. that, as a result of the better policy, that company gets your husband's loyalty. Absolutely. If your husband's happy... Happier workers, more satisfied workers are far more productive. Your husband is likely to stay there. I have people in the book who suffered ridiculous stigmas, like a man who had to run out because his baby was born in an emergency. He just missed a couple of days of work. When he got back to work, his boss rebuked him because how dare he take off those two days, knowing exactly what happened. You know, there's another boss in the book who told... The man that he couldn't have the amount of time he was legally entitled to because women are supposed to take care of kids unless they're in a coma or dead. So (laughs) this thinking in the workplace still exists and it's ridiculous. And what you're finding is that men are leaving those places Mm -hmm. and they're going to work for places that respect them as fathers. So that's yet another way in which these businesses thrive.
0: Well, let's now transition to my So Money Questions, Josh. We've gone a little over with talking about the book, but it is so interesting. I could talk about this book for hours with you. Um, so let's just see what we can get to with our, our So Money Questionnaire. And I want to start with your financial philosophy. What's, let me get in your head a little bit. Like, what is your number one money mantra?
1: Mm. You know, I, I need to come up with saying it in the mantra, but in my mind, there is a very important comparison between taking care of money and taking care of your health through eating right and, and exercising. And and here's where this came from. My financial planner is brilliant, Karen Lee. She's wonderful. And she mixes a lot of psychology into her, her work, with helping people with their money. And she said that she found early on in her career that, like, super smart people. Like she was talking to to some amazing genius chemist who had all these problems with money. And she realized that it's not uh, that that a lot of people have such an emotional relationship to money that they can't think straight about it. And to me, when she said that to me, that's how I see um, a lot of people struggle with things like food and exercise. Like to me, eating healthy and exercising is just Obvious. It's something that I don't struggle with because I don't have an emotional relationship to it. But I do have an emotional relationship to money. So what I have to do is learn to kind of let that go and see money as being another way of taking care of myself. And that that helps.
0: Money is just another way of taking care of yourself. I like that. Let's yeah. trademark that.
1: Okay, I'll
0: do that. Um, Money memories. Take us back to when Josh was little, Josh. What was your exposure to money? You said that money was already an emotional issue. Like you had an emotional attachment to money. There were emotional complexities involved. How was that perhaps, uh, you know, brought about from a young age?
1: I remember being a kid and not being allowed to um, put change in the vending machine to get something out of it when all the other kids were. You know, my parents they didn't have a lot of money um, and also were really big on saving, uh, which, you know, was a smart thing to do. But for me as a kid, I couldn't internalize that at age three and four and five. And I'm at <laughs> summer camp and at the end of the day and all the kids are getting ice cream because there was an ice cream vending machine. Um, or, you know, I, I used to and this is probably not a great call, but I used to um, go on these rides to the airport to take my little cousin to the airport for all the wonderful trips he'd be taking around the country. And I would just stand there watching the airplane take off and I had never been in an airplane. And so I had this emotional relationship to money early on, in which I thought I felt deprived. I. I didn't really understand the idea that, you know, in the end, you you grow up and you make your own decisions and you make your own money. Um, so, yeah, so that emotional relationship, that emotional connection was established very early on for me, as it was, I think, for a lot of people.
0: And um, you were very young. You have very vivid memories. Yeah, I do. People
1: always say that. But, yeah, I have like super specific memories from when I was three and four and five and six. And I don't know why they just they stick in my head.
0: Well, um, has any of that ever created a financial fail for you where your emotions really got in the way? We're transitioning now to the, to the financial fail portion of the So Money interview, where <laughs> yeah. I'd like to, you know, get guests to reveal their, you know, their, their less than uh, stellar moments with money.
1: Yeah, I mean, I my financial planner will be the first one to tell you I have had, had trouble in the past. I've gotten a lot better about it as I've grown into an adult. But um, trouble with the very concept of budgeting. It's like I would have an emotional relationship to the concept of budgeting, I would say, because when I would have to look at a budget, that would put a limit on it. And to me, putting a limit was all the time bring back all those feelings from when I was a kid about, but what if I want this? What if I want this? Um, so there were times when I went overboard with credit card debt, I mean, you know, never mm. like in any kind of danger or repo action, but yeah, I, I, had to learn that, um, that budgeting is not a bad thing. It can actually be empowering if you flip the script in your mind. So how did you
0: flip the script?
1: You know, I think a big part of it was, uh, growing up and taking responsibility for other people. You know, I got married in, in my twenties and, and. So, you know, I had my wife to take care of also. And then certainly when we started having children, even more so, it just became so obvious. I know that I need to provide for them. And this is what you're finding a lot of, you know, a lot of parents feel and, and, you know, a lot of dads feel that as a provider, you suddenly, if, if this is like health. You know what? It's a lot like health actually, because when you when you become a dad, suddenly you want to take fewer chances in a lot of the things you do. You know, whether it's motorcycle riding or whatever, because you got to watch out for yourself. And it's similar with money. When you have kids to take care of, suddenly you understand that you can't think that way anymore. You have to plan out. And so I started doing it.
0: It's like primal instinct. You know, they call it the baby effect. As soon as that baby's born, it's like. All right, I got. I got to roll up my sleeves and just do what has to get done, and that's that's budgeting or getting healthier or saving or whatever. You just make it happen there because there there is no other choice.
1: The baby effect. I've not heard that, but I like that.
0: That's great. Well, some people also refer to the baby effect as the moment as the the effect that got them to become more entrepreneurial. Sometimes people have you know these business ideas in their head. They want more career freedom, and suddenly their their baby is born. They're like, you know what? I'm not going to answer to anyone else anymore. I I get this a lot from entrepreneurs I interview on the show.
1: You know, I'll I'll tell you, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to drag us back into the book. I just want to say, since we're talking about this. No, please. Okay. So this, this idea, this stress that parents feel at the moment of a baby being born, suddenly you have, you you worry about money in a whole different way. This is another reason that our backward policies are so damaging because. You want to be there for every moment of your kid's life, but you also want to make sure you're working as much as possible so that there's enough money to take care of your children. And because we don't have any paid leave time established in this country at all, there isn't even a block of time in which you can be home and feel secure financially, in many cases in this country, and feel secure financially. So that drive to get back in work starts tearing at you right away. And that's why moms and dads are feeling so much work-life conflict. When they're one place, they really feel like maybe they should be doing the other because their family needs yeah. both.
0: It's it's just so layered. It's so layered. It's, it's you know, on the one hand, you want to be celebrating this joyous moment, but you, you got this, like, Pang in your stomach, this pit in your stomach, you know, of that. What what will work? Think of me, and what? How will I make ends meet? Because I'm not getting paid. It's nice to have the time off, but if you're not getting paid, it's really hard to, um, you know, to to enjoy it and to appreciate it.
1: It's just extra stress you do not need when you're dealing with no. how to handle a newborn. <laughs>
0: well, I'd say you're really experiencing a so many moment now, Josh. And um, what would you say though? More literally, was a so many moment where you experienced a really great financial triumph?
1: Um, I'll tell you this. I have been putting the maximum into my 401k every year since I was 25 and the maximum into all of my, um, I, every IRA I could ever open ever and same with my wife. So one time, a few years ago, we were sitting down with my financial planner and I said, let's just look at how all this stuff is doing. And she, you know, I, I guess I was like turning 40 and she pulled out the uh, where we stood on everything and You know, we're in terms of saving up for retirement, we're actually doing she said that we have more saved up for retirement than a lot of her clients who make more than we do. Hmm. So that was that was a good feeling. Um, And there have also been those times like I referred to earlier about the credit card times. I always paid them off with no trouble. So that was another moment of feeling like, okay, I dug a hole, but I, I can dig myself out of it. And that was empowering.
0: How do you like working with a planner?
1: Um okay so my because my planner is so so good and so uh, understands me so well um and is so good with psychology um I love it and I just Highly recommend it. But I, I had before her. I worked with someone for six months who turned out to be horrible, terrible. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of like um you know in our industry it's kind of like working with an agent. You know, <laughs> is it the right person for you yeah. or is it not? And are you the right person for them? It's it's its own form of marriage. And if you find the right marriage, then you're good. That what could be.
0: Think? I could be. I could not agree more. In fact, I had my um, CFP on So Money uh, episode one thirty. Everybody, check it out. Stacy Francis. I talk about her a lot, and I think as Many people write in curious about how do I pick a planner? When do I know if I'm ready to work with a planner? And I often say what you just said is that you got to like the person, you know. You know, it's, it's like you really ha- want to spend time in that first meeting, which is free, to really see if you have there is a connection and this person understands you, and that they're asking you questions about your goals and your sensitivities, as opposed to showing you you know projections and Excel spreadsheets about how they've made all their clients all this money. It's like this is really the time to get to know each other and see if you'll click.
1: It's the same thing with a lawyer. You know, with my legal case, you know, you, you got to have a lawyer that you feel really respects you and knows you and vice versa. You know, yeah, they deserve fine. your respect. And and when you find yourself in a situation like that, it's worth, you know, shopping around until you get the person who's just right.
0: What's your number one money habit, Josh?
1: Mm, my number one money – okay, so so I don't know if this counts as number one money habit, but, but I always find out every way that I can possibly – Avoid taxes, so I put you know the, I max. Do the, tell. So I maximize the four hundred and one k. There's that. Then I always maximize all of the flexible spending accounts that you're allowed to have. That you know Obamacare, um, whether people love it or hate it, is just a fact. One of the things that Obamacare did was it cut the flexible spending account for. Um, health expenses in half. So I used to be able to put away 5K to, um, for medical expenses and not pay taxes on them. That has been dropped to 2,500, but I still do it. I maximize that. I maximize the IRAs. I look for every possible opportunity to uh, lower my tax bill. And I have, I, I have no uh, regrets about that, no guilt about that. I'd say the government still gets plenty from me.
0: And I probably don't have to tell you this, but now that you are an author, all the expenses related to publishing this book that you paid out of pocket can probably be considered a, a business expense.
1: Oh, yeah. And this is also why I pay – every. I never carry cash. I pay everything on credit card, which I know for some people is the wrong thing. But I pay off my credit cards. And this way, I know even if I lose a receipt, I have a written receipt of every expense I ever go to that is tax deductible. And I, I want to make sure I have that at the end of the year.
0: I'm, I'm with you on that as well.
1: well. Yeah, you got it too.
0: Okay. So money, fill in the blanks. If you won the lottery tomorrow, first thing you would do?
1: Okay. So the first thing I would do if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would – be a stay-at-home dad for at least a couple years.
0: Oh, wow. That's great. But, okay, let me ask you this sidebar. Yeah, please, if please. you're – especially for women, if you opt out of the workforce for a number of years, and Cheryl Sandberg has this in her book, and you interviewed Cheryl for your book, uh, that for women especially, like, opting out, it, there's a price. A re-entering means you're probably going to make um, – Less money than you did before, assuming you're gone for a year or two. And so how would you make the most of your time off to ensure that when you did get back into the workforce, you wouldn't be penalized?
1: Right. And that's a really good point. So there are, some, um, there are some organizations out there that are now helping moms and in some cases dads at home do what's called peace work. So you might do uh, – a few months might go by, you might say, you know, I have 10 hours a week for the next month. I want to do something like this for the company or for a company. And um, they will help organize that for you. They will get you that piecework. You say how much time you have. You say what your skills are. They will help you find that work and then you do a good job for, for them they might want you afterwards or they'll give you a letter of recommendation and so when you have your resume you don't have to say i've done nothing for the last two years you can say and in april of 2015 and you know june of 2013 whatever i did the following task and so you do have that also i think when you come back in the workplace let them hear you roar when you get back you go around and you shake hands with everyone you meet all the bosses and you say I have learned so much about budgeting and financing and all and multitasking as a parent because no one multitasks better than a great <laughs> parent. And you show that those skills are valuable to them, and you make sure they know it.
0: Great answer. The one thing that I spend now that makes my life easier or better is
1: my um, my personal trainers. I so I have these two friends who are personal trainers, and I. Uh go to the gym. I try to make it there three times a week. And because I pay them, it's uh, you know expensive. It's not like crazy expensive. They give me a really good deal. But it forces me to go there. It is the one thing I do that's not for work and not for my family that really is for me. It keeps me healthy and energized. And if I wasn't meeting them there, I would not be so good about making it to the gym. So that's worth it.
0: Accountability. Yes.
1: Yeah. That's good my- Accountability.
0: My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on, maybe too much, but you know what? I love it.
1: I spend too much money on food. It's a joke (laughs) around CNN. Like if you ask people at CNN headquarters in Atlanta about how much I eat, everyone will tell you that they don't understand how I eat so much. I eat a, a whole meal like every hour. And if I planned my food and, and booked it in advance, I could save money. But instead, there's a bunch of good food I like in the building, and I just go around and buy it. So that's probably not the best. That's guilty.
0: Really? I've yeah. spent a day with you. I didn't notice you were eating every, every hour or so, but maybe you were secretly. <laughs> I
1: was, plus that day that we, when we were hanging out, I had a huge protein shake with me, and that helped.
0: Oh, gotcha. Okay. That's, that's so funny. Okay. Well, yeah, because you would never know. You're, not, you're a very fit and trim guy. one thing I wish I had known about money growing up is
1: I would have benefited. And this is something where I think all of us who are parents are working to try to instill this in our kids. Um, I wish that I had known how to separate money in uh, away from emotions and maybe even see it as more of a fun thing, kind of like a game. You know, when I was a kid, I was into math. And if I had understood earlier on that there is and act, it's like Mary Poppins and every job that must be done is an element of fun. If I had found the fun in the idea of budgeting and the idea of planning around numbers and, oh, what can I get instead of what can't I get, then I think I wouldn't have had those years of the, the emotional struggle over money. And I think I would have gotten to where I am a little bit sooner.
0: No one's ever quoted Mary Poppins on this podcast before.
1: Hey, first time for everything. Right yeah, right? that's
0: that's so money. <laughs> um, so when funny. I donate money, yeah. when I donate money, I like to give to blank because…
1: Right, I, I, I saw this on the list, and I'll tell you, um, I am glad you asked it. My wife and I do uh, give money to charity throughout the year, and then we take a look um, every year in like December before the you know the calendar year runs out. What's less than what we can give, but we choose to do that privately. We don't even get listed in general. I say no, you know, we don't want the places to list us because to us it feels. It's, it's fine for other people to do it, but to us, it feels even more charitable to not say the places just to know that we are giving. So I can't give you the list, but I can tell you that it's very important to us. I can also tell you that I do a ridiculous amount of research before I give to anywhere because I want to see what the overhead costs are and what's really going to happen with those points.
0: Yeah. And for listeners, GuideStar is a great website um, for to, to look at overhead and just they rank charities. And so, um, yeah, I'm a big advocate of just doing your research because- uh, you don't want all your money be going over to, like, Staples and Office yeah. Furniture. And
1: yeah, and stuff. you want to know. And you can also look – I mean, as you know this, you can look back at the previous year and say, okay, they collected how much and what did they do with it? And the year mm-hmm. before that, you can get a sense of what their leadership is really doing with your money. And I think, uh, you know, being empowered in that way is so much.
0: And last but not least, I'm Josh Lev's I'm so money because <laughs> – Okay, and can
1: I? I saw this, and I said, I think I have to ask Farnoosh whether I am so money or not. Am I?
0: Yeah, of course, everyone is so money. Everyone uh, is so money. It's just a cool. matter of thinking. You know, what have I? What have I achieved? Or, or what's my lifestyle like? That and, and so money is really a broad term. Yeah. it's not like well, I, have, I have money in I the change. bank.
1: And I guess I would say, uh, Josh loves, and I am so money because. I'm standing up for what's right. And I think there's a lot of us who are doing that. And I think that's, that ultimately is, uh, is, is an important part, at least, of being so money.
0: I could not agree more. You absolutely are so money, Josh. Everyone, check out All In, How Our Work <laughs> First Culture Fails Dad's Families and Businesses, and How We Can Fix It Together. Thank you for writing this book.
1: Oh, thank you. Listen, it's, uh, they can get all the information they need at joshlebs.com, dot S.com. Thank you for doing this and for having this podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: It's my honor, and everyone, all the links over at so many podcasts.com as well, and the transcript from this interview. Josh, have a great week, and good luck with the book. Thank you so much. That's a wrap. Again, if you'd like to learn more about Josh, his website is joshlevs.com. He's also on Twitter at @joshlevs. All this information at somoneypodcast.com. And I want to hear from you. Submit your question about money, work, life, or guests at somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh, and there's a very good chance that I will answer it this weekend. And you can also tweet me at Farnouche and use the hashtag SoMoney. As a reminder, if you'd like to win a free 15-minute money session with moi, just hop onto iTunes and leave a review for this show. Every Saturday, I pick one new reviewer to get a free 15-minute money blitz with me. And I would so love to connect with you. So if you're interested in this, hop on iTunes, leave a review. Hopefully, I will catch it and read it out loud on the Saturday episodes. And uh, we'll connect from there. Thanks in advance. And thank you for listening. Thanks to my guest, Josh Levs. Everyone, hope your day is so money.